This morning I want to begin looking at Luke chapter 11 with you, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 13, and it'll be the first part of two parts, Um, so I'll see how far I get along today before we run out of time, and then uh, I'll pick up there and continue next week. So here we go. Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, holy be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence or shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Father, I want to thank you for your word that we have just read, and let it be a joy to us as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I remember when we first came, we had a Bible study for several nights on the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew. And so when I sat down to go over this chapter, I thought, wow, we've already been through all this. And I just kept on looking at it like I do every day. <laughs> And uh, I keep reading ahead and reading behind. And I was 
actually quite impressed, not just with the differences that Luke mentions, but also the context. Now, the context is in Matthew, it's on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's part of a whole series of teachings that Jesus gives. It's like Matthew piles on a whole series of teachings from Jesus and puts it all in one box and says these are, are certain teachings on truths that Jesus talks about. Later on, he puts in a whole bunch of things about um, uh, parables. And then later on, he comes in and talks a whole lot about the end times. But here in Luke, he's going through a chronological order and he's trying to put together the things as they happened. And now we're on the road to Jerusalem and we're going through Samaria and one of the most amazing things was in the previous chapter, he had sent out all of these 70 or 72 uh, other, other disciples, not the 12 who had gone out in chapter 9, but in chapter 10, they go to prepare the coming of Jesus through all the places he wants to visit on his way to Jerusalem. And they come back and they're excited about the success. And Jesus turns to them and says, you know, you don't want to rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And then he turns around and he prays. Now let's take a look at the prayer, which is in Luke 10, 21. He says, at that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son, who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son will reveal him. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And then, after he's gone on and encountered that lawyer and, and talked to him about who the neighbor is and, and all of that, here in chapter 11, he finds a place to go and pray. He has just told his disciples, he just told them that no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those whom the Son will reveal him to. And then he turns to them and he says, just said to the disciples, you're blessed because of the things that you've seen and the things that you've heard. Nobody else has seen that, but that is something that the prophets longed for long ago, and you are a witness to what God said would come to pass in all of the Old Testament 
from the law of Moses through the prophets and Isaiah, everybody was pointing towards this moment. You are witnesses of it. So when he goes to pray, the disciples are taking one look and they're saying to themselves, wait a minute, nobody knows who the Father is except the Son and who the Son will reveal him to. So when Jesus finishes praying, they're knocking on his door. They're saying, wait a minute, we have seen what happens when you pray. When you pray, people are getting healed and saved and delivered and, and people's lives are changed. And when you pray, we go out and we perform these miracles. When you pray, things happen that don't happen when the Pharisees pray and other people pray. When you pray... You are revealing wisdom, understanding things about the Father that you talk about. You come up with the kind of wisdom to talk to lawyers. My goodness, you, you have picked us. We're not the educated elite. And yet you've said that this is being revealed to us. <laughs> Think about it. People like you and me, right? People that... Most people in this world haven't a clue who you and I are. <laughs> we, we belong to this elite crowd of nobodies <laughs> to whom Jesus wants to reveal who his Father is. And so they have put two and two together. We need to pray like Jesus if we're going to see the Father and know who the Father is in order to live according to his will and to see the works that the Father does. If we want that, we need to know how you pray. You see, John taught his disciples how to pray. It didn't have the same effect, even though he was the greatest among all prophets up to that point of those who were born of women he was the greatest but now we have you will you teach us how to pray i mean this is this is heady stuff because they have just put two and two together if i can come to Jesus and he will show me the way to the Father, I will have access to the same kind of life and wisdom and understanding that Jesus has. Have you followed the train of thought now from, from chapter 10? Coming into chapter 11, there is a progression and they are coming in and saying, we need to know something about prayer because that is the secret to everything that happens. The secret is you have access to the Father. So you have access to Direction, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love. You have uh, 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 the purposes of God, the, the, the workings of the Holy Spirit. You have access because you have a direct line of contact between you and your Father. Teach us how that works. 
They don't ask him to teach them how to heal the sick. They don't ask him how to drive out demons. They don't ask him how to preach. They don't ask him all about theology. They don't know anything about systematic theology. But they do know Jesus and what happens when Jesus prays. And now they're saying, we've, we've got the secret. We know where it's at. Jesus, we want you to teach us. And the whole focus of prayer is not just the Lord's Prayer. There are three sections. Three sections. The first section deals with a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to get to that in, in just a few minutes. The second section, uh, that's how do we address the Father to get to know him. And remember, he said... No one knows the Father except the Son and whom the Son will reveal him to. So when he starts out, he says, Father. If you want to pray, you pray addressing him as Father. Now, the second section deals with persistence in prayer. The first part deals with content of prayer. The second one deals with with the desperate persistence in prayer. And the third part deals with the main secret of prayer, and that is the activity of the Holy Spirit within the believer's life. So now we've got three aspects of prayer that are put together in this context where they're on their way to Jerusalem, they've asked one of the most critical questions, how do we pray? This is the answer that Jesus is giving, knowing that this is important for them after he dies. The time is short when he's going to leave them, and so he's giving them the most critical information here upon which their lives need to be built after he's gone to the Father. Um, we need to think of this in the entire context of Luke-Acts, written by one person. It's two parts of the same book, Luke and Acts, and he starts off, with the announcement of Jesus coming and goes through uh, the life of, uh, of Paul uh, up until the time that he has uh, left him or he, he, Luke finishes this book that he's writing for Theophilus, who is probably the sponsor of this book called Luke Acts. So the foundation of all that's going to come later in the Acts of the Apostles <laughs> is going to be founded upon this basic foundation. Just think about that. In other words, the secret to a powerful, successful Christian life is what Jesus is going to be sharing with his disciples in these 13 verses. They've come and seen, observed, and now they're going to be taught the one thing that they've asked for that they're going to be receiving. And Jesus lays a critical, critical foundation. So let's go back and look at the prayer of Jesus, which deals with the focus of prayer. Now, he says to them, when you pray... Say this, 
Father, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. There are several differences here to what was present in Matthew. In Matthew, it starts off with our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the our and the who art in heaven is left out. He is focusing on personal relationship, but also upon addressing as the Lord God creator that nobody in Israel can address our name by name. They even can't write the name out. And he is taking this this one who is far above what we could imagine or think, who's far above, and bringing him down into the relationship between a father and his children. And you say, Baba, you say, Daddy, you call him Father. Paul picks up on that in Romans and says that you address him as Abba, Abba Father. I, I love that. The uh, address in a personalized way is not he's far away from me somewhere on a throne in heaven. I'm sitting on his lap. Closeness. My granddaughter came to me yesterday and wanted to get up on my knee, sat up on my knee, laid her head on my shoulder and just gave me this big hug and then said she wanted an ice and said, come, come now. I mean, she's too, hardly too. She's not two yet. She's got incredible diction for a kid that's not even two. She's in her terrible twos already without being two years old. I don't know how that works. but she, So she gets down and she, she says, run, Opa, run, 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 Opa. <laughs> and she starts going like this. you got to run to go get me my ice out of the uh, freezer. <laughs> and so she came running with me. It was so much fun. I, I was laughing. I was laughing, but... The, the intimacy that she came without any pretense, climbing up onto my lap and grabbing hold of me, that was something, was a safe place for her. And she could bring then any request she wanted. And she knew by giving me that love... <laughs> I'm just a soft touch, and whatever she asked, I was going to do for her. You see the correlation? It starts by saying, I know who you are. Father, I'm here on your lap, and I know that there is something about you that is incredibly special And the fact that I can sit here on your lap understanding who you are is a major miracle. You've got time. 
for me. Now that that's that is probably to a Jewish mindset almost blasphemous that I not only address Almighty God as Father, but I know that in His in, in, in His holiness, His separateness, difference, He has He has connected with me. He loves me. And so when I begin by looking at the power that's in him and the fullness in him, and I'm looking up and I'm saying, your name, in your name, there is everything that's necessary for life and health and my future. Oh, my goodness, Father. (laughs) So my, my whole approach now to worship is the first part of a two-part prayer. <clears throat> and so I'm sitting there understanding something about who he is when I say, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, separate is your name, your name is powerful, your name works wonders in the world, your name is above every other name, there is no name like yours. When we Pray in your name, things will happen. So here's the name of the Father, and then he says, let that kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Now the kingdom of God is not built like our capital city. It doesn't have... Houses of Parliament. It doesn't have elected officials. (laughs) The the kingdom of God has a king. His name is Jesus. And it's not built with buildings of human hands. It's built in the hearts of the people who love God. The kingdom of God is isn't physical things, nor is it something that's up in heaven. The kingdom of God is both here and now, and the kingdom of God is made up of righteousness, right living, justice, good things, righteousness, peace, that that passes our understanding in the midst of trials and tribulations, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You want to know where the kingdom of God is? You don't look very far Because if I look at you, I see the kingdom of God. And when I want the kingdom of God to come, then he will come by addressing the attitudes and issues in your life. He comes to transform our lives. He removes the sinful nature and he replaces it with the divine nature. He takes away the sin and he fills us with the things that are valuable that bring life and hope and encouragement to you. And when I begin to see you, I see the bride of Christ that's being adorned for her husband. Oh my goodness, you don't know what you look like now, but wait till you get to heaven and it's going to be an incredible thing that you said, oh, you did that in me? Jesus is about transforming lives of people 
<coughs> and that is where you find the kingdom of God. It's not on the outside. It's within. And wherever Jesus is, that's where his kingdom is. And when he takes possession of your heart and you surrender to him, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Wow. (laughs) I'm sitting there going, when you pray... Let this be the beginning of your prayer that you begin to see who the Father is and how the Father is invading earth. How heaven is invading earth by invading our lives and our communities. The kingdom of God happens to be bigger than just our church. Isn't that right? <laughs> It doesn't matter how many we are here. It's, it, it's a matter of what, the, what God is doing throughout our whole community. And we can continue to pray for that. And the second part, that's the first part. The second part deals with us. Interesting, isn't it, that <clears throat> he doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread. Or give me each day my bread that I need. He doesn't say that. This is different than in Matthew again. Here he says, give us each day our daily bread. He's looking at a continual event that doesn't just happen on one day that I got to pray again the next day. But this is throughout my life on a daily basis provide for me. But he doesn't say me. He speaks to us. So that in our relationships with each other. This is a community event. An example is what happened this week. When, when uh, Martha died and they're going to hold the funeral this afternoon, the few of us that are here put things together and took them over to Rosa to eat. That's give us you see that? That's community. It's not just that we individually have food on our plates that we need to eat. It is also done within the community that we need to be praying for all of us in our community. They need bread too, and especially those who are day laborers in the world that have have no access to food because they're not earning any money and there's nothing that they have that's worth anything to sell in order to provide. We need to become the us that helps to provide. You know, when it says give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. That means God is going to be speaking to us to be those that give into the needs. We need to have ears to hear because when it says give us each day, each day, what we need on a daily basis, and our needs can change from day to day, not my personal needs, but our needs can change. I mean, the needs in Louisiana changed in a day. They're right. (laughs) 
one storm comes through and their needs are different today than they were a week ago. Then comes the interesting aspect. The first, the first one here is that we are looking at continual daily needs. And he's doing this by picking up on the thought of who is my neighbor from the previous chapter. You know, he's talking to the lawyer and he said, who's my neighbor? You know, who, who is the us? <laughs> the us includes my neighbors. So my prayer includes not just the household of faith, even though it includes the household of faith first. Now, this is an interesting one. The next one is, and forgive us our sins. He doesn't say, forgive us our trespasses. He says, forgive us our sins. Comes right out. Forgive us our sins. Everything that is not law-abiding, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. And then he puts this additional clause to it, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. <laughs> now, when I first read that, I thought people who owe me money, which it also includes. I, I remember the uh, first church I pastored. It was a little country church in West Virginia and in a place called McMeckin. And uh, we needed to have some, some work done on the roof. It was leaking, and so we hired a, a roofer to come in and do it. And the guy needed a down payment, and so he got the down payment and uh, didn't bother showing up again. And uh, <laughs> we discovered in looking for it, people were getting pretty mad and angry and upset because we'd given them a fair share of money. Again, it wasn't a very big church, and so it, for that church, it was a lot of money to put out. And, and so they were getting... Uh, pretty hot and bothered under the collar when they found out that the man was an alcoholic and he had put all that money into booze and had been enjoying himself <laughs> rather than doing the work that he was supposed to be doing. And I remember we went into a, uh, a meeting of all the, the leaders of the church and I had just recently been saved. I remember this. Um, I was a preacher before I got saved. It, you know, it happens. I was one of those exceptions to the rule. I got saved while I was preaching. Well, in the, in the process here, they were getting so mad uh, at this guy that they were going to take him to court, and they were talking about this and that. And I just said, I said, let's stop it. I said, you have no idea what kind of problems that man has. You don't know what drove him to become an alcoholic. You don't know what his issues are, what his family's about. You don't know anything about that. The problem, though, with you is your anger and your attitude towards this guy. You do not show Christian charity or love or concern or any kind of interest for this man and what he's got. Now, the thing for us to do right now is to forgive him his debt, forgive him his debt, and to let him go free. 
I mean, I started lecturing these people who were all my age back then. <laughs> they, were, they were the ones that were supposed to be the spiritual ones. I, I, I just, I, I was not a very nice when I got saved, I don't think, but I just started pulling out scriptures and shouting them at them and telling them that they needed to get rid of their pharisaical attitude, and they were just in shock that, that I would do that to them. But you know what? They forgave the guy. They turned around and they said, you're right. If I'm going to be a Christian to live according to the word of God, I'm going to forgive him and I'm going to take a different approach and I'm going to trust God to provide for us. And God did provide for us and the, and the job was completed. It didn't hurt us one bit to forgive the guy. Problem with, with not forgiving is this. If I don't forgive you, it's like me taking a poison pill and expecting you to die. <laughs> Do you get that? If I don't forgive, it's like me eating poison and anticipating that you're going to die. Lack of forgiveness in our lives can be destructive more to us than to the person that we're not forgiving. But when I forgive, then we release the person who is indebted to us, whatever kind of indebtedness it is. You know, in, in, in eastern parts of the world, in the Far East, in Asia... There is something that when I help you do something, you are then indebted to me and I can call in that debt anytime I want so that if I ask you for something, you have to do it for me. And you keep this account going with one another and it may not have anything to do with money, but it may have a lot to do with what you owe me because I have done something in kindness to you. Our daughter Naomi learned that in China, that whenever somebody in China asks you to do something, and usually for her, it meant correcting papers or correcting books or whatever it is to go over and edit them, and she would do it, they would not expect to pay her they would be waiting for her to call in the debt that they now owed her because she had done something for them. And in this, Jesus is saying that's the kind of attitude that people have. And he's saying, Lord, I want you to forgive me in the same measure with which I forgive the one that is indebted to me. We had a pastor in England that said, make sure you keep short accounts. Don't let your bitterness and your anger and your hurt well up inside. Forgive quickly. I love that. Forgive quickly. 
Don't hold on to it. Don't hang on to it. Don't become bitter with it. Oh my goodness, we don't want anything that somebody has done to us that's been an injustice to us. We don't want to clamor for justice. We want forgiveness from Jesus for all of our sins. My whole approach is different. I'm wanting to have a clear attitude towards every one of you here. I don't want there to be a barrier at all. Why? Because I don't want any barriers in my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Are you with me? My goodness. I I look at that and I'm saying that is difficult. And the last one is, is don't lead us into testing. The word here is that I read to you is temptation, but it is the testing. They're saying, Lord, we don't want to necessarily be tested unless we got to. Remember, Jesus gets, gets baptized by John, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and the next thing you know, he's spending 40 days in the wilderness being tested by the, by the devil. There's some things in our lives that when we don't deal with them, when God points them out, that the probability is going to come up that he will put us through a test so that we will see and understand why that kind of attitude or sin or sinful approach to life is not valuable but it is it is uh, injurious to us and he wants to get rid of it because he wants us to be free from it and so he'll put us through a test to show us That's not helpful for you. Don't do that. And if we fail the test, we're going to keep going back till we finally pass it. Have you ever noticed that? If you come to, God says, well, I want you to, I don't know, eat healthy. (laughs) That's a major test. And I keep having to go through the test again and again. I want to pray, Lord, lead me in such a way that I don't have to go through that test. Help me to readjust my lifestyle in such a way that I don't need that test anymore. Now then, the next section that he picks up on, I'm only going to do the parable part this morning. The parable part is this. He says, when you come to Jesus, are you desperate enough in your teachable heart are you desperate enough to know to want to know the ways of God that you won't let anything come between you and him until you have grabbed a hold of it in the in the old days they used to call this praying through you prayed until you knew that God had had answered your prayer even though you didn't see the answer you knew that your request had been heard in heaven and you had persisted in prayer until you got it it's just like you want to grab hold of Jesus and not let go like Jacob did with the angel on the ladder to heaven and he's holding on he says I won't let you go till you bless me and sometimes We need to learn how to get desperate in our prayer like the disciples who came to Jesus said, we need to see the Father, so you better teach us how to pray. 
He says, when you get a hold of that, you don't stop until you've had a breakthrough in your prayer life. Now, all of us who know Jesus had a breakthrough to get saved. You wouldn't be saved if you didn't have a breakthrough. You prayed because there was a great need in your life that needed forgiveness and you saw that Jesus loved you. You trusted him enough that you surrendered your life to Jesus and you said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And something happened on the inside. You felt like you had had a bath or a shower as your sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus. Something wonderful happened to you on the inside. Your brokenness was changed by the presence of Jesus who came to dwell and live inside of you. And, and you, you looked up and you're going in amazement. I had a breakthrough. I was forgiven. I don't forget the night that I prayed like that. I prayed the whole night through. Problem is, we often stop after that breakthrough. When, when the Lord was telling me, I was out in Oregon, and he was telling me to go to England, that I needed to go, and, and uh, I started praying about it, um, I went through a whole series of miracles in my life and ended up back in Pennsylvania in the churches that I was pastoring before I was going to leave. And I remember uh, on, I was going to be there for two weeks, and on the Monday morning I, I uh, called uh, British Airways and asked them if I could reserve a seat on a flight out of New York on uh, uh, April 4th. And uh, they said, yes. I said, well, can I pay for it when I get to the airport? And they said, no, sir, you have to pay for it uh, by Wednesday. Otherwise, we will cancel your reservation and sell your seat. And I so, said, do you still want it? I said, yes, please, please reserve it. They said, well, you just need to go to a travel agent by Wednesday and pay for it. That's all you have to do. That was $350 that I did not have. And I knew that that week I wasn't going to get any money because I was going to be visiting schools and hospitals and prisons, and there was no offerings going to be taken for me. The next week, I was going to go, and every night they were going to take up an offering for me. And so I thought, well, you know, I was going to get it in the following week. And when I got to pray in the next morning in my devotions, and I heard the Lord speak to me, he said, do you believe that I'm sending you to England? I said, yes, Lord, I believe. You, you, Help me get all the way here from Oregon, you know, so I, I'm trusting you to get me. He says, well, then why did you ask if you could pay for the ticket at the airport? Are you trusting me or are you trusting the offerings that people are going to take up for you? And I realized I committed a sin in the sight of the Lord. I got down on my knees that morning and I prayed. I said, Lord, I, forgive me. Forgive me, I said, I, I, I'm not trusting you. I want to trust you. I have no idea how you're going to pay for this because I have no way of getting that kind of money before, uh, before Wednesday. And, and so this is Tuesday morning, I'm praying. And I prayed and I prayed until I got to the place in persistence. I prayed until I knew God was going to provide for it. I had no idea how but I knew he was going to provide for me. 
I was just happy. I was so happy. God would provide for me. People say, well, have you got the money? I said, well, it's on its way coming. I mean, it's going to be here. I don't know how God's going to do it, but it's coming. That afternoon, I was staying at a Mennonite farmer's house. And that afternoon, two pieces of mail came for me. One had a check in it for $200, and the other one had a check in it for $150. And the next morning, I went to a travel agent and bought my ticket. I, I was sitting there. When the time comes to learn how to pray through with persistence and desperation, my question is, what is it that we are missing as a church that we're desperate for God to do, or are we comfortable with the way things are? And do our prayers reflect our desperation and our persistence before the throne of God that He's going to break through, or are we just going to let things continue? That becomes a major question. And this verse, this parable, says that you don't quit, you don't stop until you get what you came for. Yeah, we'll pick up on that because there's an interesting aspect there why the guy said, my children are in bed asleep, and why he didn't want to get up and give his friend the bread he was asking for. We'll look at that as part of the desperation as we go through next week into the last third of this incredible, amazing teaching that Jesus is teaching his disciples on how to pray in answer to their desired question to get to know the Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word right here. This is an exciting exciting portion of scripture because you're showing us the key that is necessary for us to to move forward in in our relationship with you as well as in our relationship here with our community. We pray father that you would you would hear us as we begin to pray along these lines as we begin to have a holy desperation to grab a hold of you, to know you and your working in our hearts and in our lives, that we would, we would have a willingness to, to have short, short accounts by forgiving people and not holding them in debt to us over anything and having that open heaven, heavenward uh, approach to you so that your kingdom would become visible and evident in and through us. Oh, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray like this so that we would see the fruit of our prayer, our labor in prayer. We would see the effects of our labor in prayer. We bless you, Lord Jesus, and we ask you this day that you would give us a teachable heart when it comes to understanding and being involved in a lifetime of prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.